Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. I want to start with Neil Gorsuch. Because yesterday, Neil Gorsuch got something that Merrick Garland never got. He got the opportunity for a vote. They voted to allow uh, a a vote on Neil, Neil Gorsuch. So we're going to have a vote. Now, here's the problem. We also yesterday got word that more Democrats have come out and said that they cannot support Neil Gorsuch, and they do now have the votes to successfully filibuster his nomination to the Supreme Court. Shock of all shocks, uh, Chris Coons came out and he said that even he had to oppose, oppose Neil Gorsuch. I am not ready to end debate on this issue, so I will be voting against cloture unless we are able, as a body, to finally sit down and find a way to avoid the nuclear option and ensure the process to fill the next vacancy on the court is not a narrowly partisan process. Now, there were other people that came out yesterday who said that they weren't going to support him, Dianne Feinstein and Patrick Leahy, and they are uh, very progressive Democrats, I, I would say, those, those two. So it's not a huge surprise that they would fall in line with their party. Chris Coons, that's a little bit of a surprise for me. And I have to say, good for Chris Coons. I think that people are now realizing that something has got to be done to stop Trump's agenda and that the people are behind that. And if stopping Neil Gorsuch from going to the Supreme Court is the best way that Democrats can fight this, I am all for it. And by the way, a great piece uh, this morning in... New Republic, from our guest from yesterday's show, uh, Graham Vice, he wrote a piece, Democrats won't pay for opposing Neil Gorsuch. Basically, there is a long history of senators who have stood in the way of Supreme Court justices and tried to stop them and shut them down, and they don't really pay a price for it. They believe that that's just part of the process, part of the vetting process. Now, uh, the Republicans are going to put this squarely at the feet of Democrats, right? That is the talking point that you're hearing now from uh, all the Republicans. They're all saying, you know, the Democrats, they're obstructing. Democrats are getting in the way. Democrats are trying to shut down the process. You're goddamn right they are. As well they should. I'm happy the Democrats are obstructing Neil Gorsuch. You know what? Just for the sake of obstructing. I have zero problem with it, for the record. After what these cucks did to Merrick Garland, stood in the way, wouldn't even give him a vote. Yeah, I'm okay with him getting in the way and stopping his uh, Supreme Court nominee. That's Barack Obama's pick. Listen to these Republicans. I want to start, first of all, with Lindsey Graham, because here's... What's going to happen now? 
Now that Democrats have the votes that they need to successfully filibuster Neil Gorsuch, the Senate is now going to have to change the rules. It's called the nuclear option or the nuclear option if you're from uh, Texas. I'm going to vote to change the rules because I'm not going to be part of a Senate where Democrats get their judges and a Republican can never get theirs. That's not what it's all about. That's exactly what it's all about. That is exactly what this is all about. The Democrats didn't get their judge. You can't stand there and say Democrats get to have their judges and Republicans don't. That is the biggest load of dog ass. This Lindsey Graham, remember everybody loves Lindsey Graham because he's a, the guy that was going to stand up to Trump and was the never Trump. Now look at him. Good boy, Lindsey. Good boy. Woof. Just roll over and change the rules so that Donald Trump can get his way. And to say the Democrats get their judges and Republicans don't. Do you even understand what's happening here? This whole thing is because a Supreme Court seat was stolen from Barack Obama. No, Lindsey Graham is not your friend. Lindsey Graham is not going to help you hashtag resist. Lindsey Graham is not going to be the one that's going to stand up and put country over party for a change. That makes me sick. Lindsey Graham. Somebody throw him in a trash can. You see him on the Senate. Mitch McConnell also is the guy behind all of this because he's the one that refused to give Merrick Garland a vote. He's the reason that Barack Obama's Supreme Court pick was taken away from him, never even given an opportunity to shine, never even given an opportunity to have a vote. So yesterday... Mitch McConnell says that this puts us all at the feet of the Democrats. This is the new low, but not entirely surprising, given that the Democratic leader announced before the nomination was even made that it was hard for him to imagine a nominee this president would nominate that he could support. Excuse me, that is the exact thing that McConnell did after Scalia died. You hear the reverb on that? Sounds like he... uh was speaking inside of his turtle shell. (laughs) Turtle cam. We got that off the turtle cam. This is the new low. (laughs) I I just, I don't understand how Mitch McConnell walks around with balls that big to say, uh, Jamie, please play the clip. I I want you guys to remember where we were after Scalia died a little over a year ago, and we all said, oh, my God. Barack Obama still has almost a year left of being president and he's going to have to pick a replacement to Antonin Scalia. And this Mitch McConnell came out and said, absolutely not. We're not going to have a vote. I don't care who it is. Now, listen, listen to this. But not entirely surprising, given that the Democratic leader announced before the nomination was even made that it was hard for him to imagine a nominee this president would nominate that he could support. It's almost like blindly voting along party lines is par for the core now, Mitch. You snake. What a snake. This guy, he's not even hes not even good at BS. He can't even come out and, and, and like defend this in a way that he hasn't already been accused of doing. 
one of my favorite guests is Adam Smith. He's the director of Every Voice. Uh, not only is he a great guest, he's great on Twitter. You should follow him on Twitter, at asmith83. Hey, Peter. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for coming in. You get the early slot today. Yeah, of course. I know it's it's early. You know, it just it gets me going early. I There's would, so much stuff to talk about. Yeah, Adam. that's right. Right. Holy crap. Okay, I want to start with the like in my mind the biggest Trump story from sure. yesterday. Uh, this blind trust because we've we've spoken to you all about how he's handling his money, how he's handling yeah all of these businesses because they present a pretty serious conflict with the fact that he's you know the leader of the free world, right? And so we have this trust in place. Yeah. How's that holding well, up? Well, okay. First of all, the blind trust has <laughs> the, has a great ophthalmologist because, uh, <laughs> you you know, first of all, the context of this this whole thing is Donald Trump said, let me hold this press conference to offer this plan to deal with my conflicts of interest, all the businesses that I own here and abroad. And it was just entirely inadequate. Instead of divesting, uh, selling all of his businesses like ethics experts, the Office of Government Ethics suggested, he maintains an ownership stake. Instead of creating a blind trust, his uh, sons are running it. So, um, and in the past couple of months, you've just seen sort of uh, hit the. It, it's impossible to show where Trump the businessman ends and Trump the president starts. He's he's at his businesses every weekend. Uh, his uh, he's using his Twitter account to bully companies when they drop his daughter's uh, line. You know, there was the story about the Chinese trademarks being approved within days of Trump saying, "Oh, actually, I still support the One China policy." Right. So it's really impossible to know. Uh, and so then yesterday we saw this story from ProPublica that oh the, you mean the left wing rag yeah no that was also crazy literally nobody can attack ProPublica unless you know nothing about ProPublica um, yeah. if you had seen any of their coverage on the Obama administration and um, housing and all of that stuff and so they report that a change made to Donald Trump's trust was that he can withdraw money from it at any time uh, which can really give can give him a sense of how profitable it's being and also for me it says two things one he doesn't have enough money to like cover his expenses right if he uh he because he sort of boxed himself in by saying he's going to donate his salary so now he has to go into the trust every once in a while and pull some cash out to pay if he ever does something that's not related to one of his own businesses um that sort of defeats the whole purpose of this if i if oh, I'm absolutely. Reading this yeah, right. Yeah, and it, you know, this comes just like a week after Eric Trump said, Eric is my favorite, uh, Trump, because he is sort of an idiot. And so. Uh, <laughs> first of all, first of all, I think that all of the Trump, I think Ivanka is smart, but kind of evil. But I yeah. think the Trump boys, I think, are just dummies. Oh, yeah. Just so, dummies. And, and I also don't want to get personal about it, but Eric yeah. Trump. His entire body is the same color, like his hair, yeah. his eyebrows, his, his lips, yeah. his face, the whole thing. It's all just like one color, <laughs> right. just like off-white. Yeah. So <laughs> you know said, what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's, it's really something. Uh, uh, I'll leave the, the, the style and looks to you, Peter. But, um, well, I'm very catty that yeah. way. Um, I'm not above that. <laughs> but he said in an interview, oh, yeah, I'm totally giving my dad uh, updates on how the business is doing, which defeats the entire <laughs> purpose. <laughs> like, right? It's so in the face. There, uh, and it defeats the entire purpose of the trust because he said, 
Donald Trump said, I will be isolated from the business. I will have nothing. I will know nothing about how it works. But if he's getting quarterly reports from his son, he knows how it works. He knows if the, um, you know, the the executive order uh, gutting a clean water rule that benefits golf courses, whether that's working to benefit his golf course, you know, and uh then he's going to be able to take the money out, which also, if if some, if he has more money to take out, means his company is more profitable. So he knows how it's doing. Okay. All right. So this was the whole fear. Yeah. Right? When he came into office. Like, we, we talked about this. Yeah. Before he even came into office, this is something that could be very, very bad mm-hmm. and also just highly unethical. Right. So he put on this big show and made it look like everything was going to be on the up and up. And here we are, like, just over two months into his presidency. And it's like, yeah, that wasn't working out. We're going to... Yeah, we're gonna absolutely. We actually... Uh, we we put this report together two weeks ago with Public Citizen, looking at all the promises he The left-wing rag. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> looking at all the promises he made on his conflicts, as well as the lobbying um, executive order. And he has broken all of them. You know, uh, I am not going to profit on the presidency. He's at his places every weekend. Uh, I'm going to divest. He Or I'm, I'm going to have a blind trust. He doesn't have a blind trust. Uh, I'm not going to... They're not going to pursue new foreign deals. There are any number of new foreign deals uh, the Trump organization is pursuing. And the thing is, it raises these important questions about who is he working for? You know, the State Department last week approved the sale of some F-16s to Bahrain. Um, The Obama administration wouldn't do that unless Bahrain cleaned up its human rights record. Uh, you know who uh, has uh, recently had or scheduled events Mm -hmm. at the Trump Hotel? The government of Bahrain. And so while you don't know if one of those things leads to the other, it raises that important question. Mm, I have an idea. Right, and it creates this cloud of corruption over the entire administration. So why, um, which impacts not only our standing in the world, but Americans' faith and their democratic institutions. This is an interesting time to watch all this, though, because yeah. like you talk about the appearance of conflict yeah. or things like that. Like, it just doesn't care. Right, he absolutely doesn't. He just doesn't care. Yeah, and for him, he can get away with a a good portion of it because there aren't conflict of interest laws. The one problem for the president, the one problem is uh, emoluments and the violations of the Foreign Bribery Clause of the Constitution, which is still going through the courts. Uh, But I do think... Uh, But we also haven't seen him do a lot yet, legislatively. Right. Right, and so... For everybody freaking out about how bad this has been, and it has been bad. Yeah. 78 days, I think, yeah. or 76 days, something like that. Like, we're barely in Right, this, so I boy. do think if you saw, if Trump Care actually passed and Donald Trump ripped away health insurance and millions of people while he was going to his golf course and profiting off the presidency, I think you'd see some anger there, and you're continue to see that. Um, and when you saw the financial disclosure forms this weekend and these people are just making so much money while other people while they're going to say i'm going to continue to make uh, millions of dollars while i rate uh, cut my own taxes and make it harder for you to get ahead you just mentioned the financial disclosure yeah forms. let's let's talk about those sure so um uh, there's certain forms that uh, white house employees have to file mm-hmm. um uh to show the what where, what money they have where they have assets what they sold and some of those came out on Friday and the big thing that sticks out to me is we don't have Ivanka's yet because she just became an official employee Mm -hmm. but you have Jared's Jared Kushner um, Trump's top advisor and Ivanka's husband and also like 
eight other titles. Jack they, of all for trades. For whatever reason, just throw to Jared Kushner. Yeah, I just saw some tweet about how he's like the um, the Febreze of your dorm room. You know, <laughs> it'll get rid of every problem. We came in this morning. We had a little bit of an issue with uh, getting connected. You know, yeah. what we called Jared Kushner. What? Fixed it. He fixed it. Yeah. He just came in. He fixed no, it. No, it's it's really crazy. We just he does everything. <laughs> the guy does uh, everything. It's the, unbelievable. Yeah. The the son uh, of a a criminal. <laughs> the son of a criminal who bankrupted yeah. a newspaper. Yeah. He will fix it all. <laughs> Um, uh, but so the one thing that sticks out for that is, so if Vivanka and Jared are supposed to be Trump's top advisors, right, on everything, their, uh, their assets, the things they own are going to keep them from being involved in anything. You know, Trump's top issues that he says are his top issues are trade, tax reform, um and uh, draining the swamp and draining the swamp, right? But on like, if you look at trade and tax reform in particular, so on taxes, Jared and Ivanka have um, tons of real estate holdings, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Jared did, isn't divesting all of them. He has these holdings in cities around the country. What's one big issue in taxes? Real estate. Real estate ha- is really big in taxes, right? Of course it is. And so they'd have to recuse themselves from any debate about that, or they could actually violate. They are, uh, oh, conflicts man. of interest are applicable to them, so they could violate them. When it comes to um, Dodd-Frank uh, reassessing uh, Wall Street regulations, um, they they have, uh, Jared has uh, let, uh, loans with plenty of banks, you know, foreign banks, American banks. Uh, the regulatory uh, Wall Street reform uh, will impact those banks. How can he do that? Ivanka has an international clothing business that she is not divested from. That is, cannot be separated from the debate about trade. So on all these issues, it's going to be very hard for Jared and Ivanka to not recuse themselves. And if they don't, they're going to open themselves up to questions about whether they are violating conflict of interest laws. You know, I, I like you, man. You're just <laughs> such a black cloud sometimes. You just like come in and it's just like, Oh, God, it makes my head hurt. I know, hurt. it's the worst. I'm sorry. It's just, but no, no, this is important stuff. And by the way, this is stuff that Trump thinks he can get away with. Yeah. Really and truly. I mean, this is this is where he thrives. Like, shady business deals is how he made his name. Oh, absolutely. Everybody knows that in New York. Yeah. Right, where they followed him locally for a long, long time. And for whatever reason, it might not have broken through on a national level. But everyone knows he is a scumbag of the highest order when it comes to shady business deals. Yeah, and he... It, and he's in a position to make a lot of really yeah, big ones Yeah, now. and in the, as the president, he can't buy... It's hard for him to buy himself out of these problems like he could as just a, a, a New York businessman. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Sabrina Siddiqui, uh, our guest for the hour. You're here for the hour? I'm here for the hour. That's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, Sean Spicer's press briefings. I'm very sorry. No, no, no. That's okay. (laughs) I'm here. I'm I'm very much here for that. Uh, Sean Spicer is is sort of become a thing here in Washington because Uh like, 
around lunchtime when we're here in the studio, we look up and there's his that 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 face of his it's, on it's every channel. Spicy. Um, it's spicy. Here it's spicy spi- time. Spicy time. Uh, which I think that Sean Spicer is one of the most ridiculous human beings in all of Washington D.C. And we have a lot of reporters who come in all the time, and they're just like, "Oh, Sean Spicer's a good guy. No, he's we've known him for a long time. He's been around for a long time. He's just a good dude. Bull crap. I I I can't stand this guy. You know, there's efficiencies, duplicity. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we wanted to do, my colleague David Smith and I, with this story is, you had another moment with April Ryan last week where Sean Spicer got into a confrontation. Obviously, April Ryan is one of the few, um, you know, black reporters in the briefing room, also a black woman. And, uh, you know, look, I know people were reluctant to get too much into how much race was a factor. He does tussle with people every day, but he he told her, stop shaking your head. And it kind of blew up into another viral moment. And what we were trying to do is get to the bottom of how Sean Spicer the briefing under his tenure has become a spectacle of its own. It's like you had televised briefings in previous administrations, but they weren't always carried live start to finish. And I know we're, you know, still fairly early on, but we're almost 100 days in. And this is still something where, you know, he's been mocked on SNL, obviously played by Melissa McCarthy. And the briefing has taken on so much more of a national form where if you previously asked probably the average person who's the press secretary, yeah, they probably yeah. wouldn't even be able to tell you. Um, and so, you know, we I talked to people like Marlon Fitzwater, who was the press secretary under Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush, to Ari Fleischer, who was under George W. Bush, just to ask them what they think has really changed about the briefing, in addition to just John Spicer's demeanor. But, you know, why is it that you know now... It's 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 its own event. And I'll so, tell you why. I have a very easy answer. Go ahead. Sean Spicer is is performing for an audience of one. Donald Trump. That's it. Donald yeah. Trump. Period. 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 And that's all. That's all that matters is if he comes if he comes back after those briefings and Donald Trump says, "Well, you really stuck it to those losers in the press corps. Or you really covered my neck there. Or you really didn't make us look bad or whatever." Yeah. That's all that matters. And there's there's a lot of interesting. There, there are a lot of interesting sort of um, backstory to like how these things normally work, right? Jamie and I were talking earlier. We, I do this podcast now with John Allen. We talked to Jen Saki, who was a spokesperson. She said that when she was a spokesperson for the State Department, like John Kerry didn't necessarily always watch all of the briefings the way that we know Trump does with Spicer, but like a lot of people do, including foreign leaders Mm. and their spokespeople or their communications team. And so you are sending messages out to the world when you are at that podium. You are. And And there's a real danger in performing for an audience of one when everybody's watching. And, you know, Marlon Fitzwater, who was actually the press secretary under Reagan and George Bush Sr., was saying, you know, he is, in essence, mimicking his boss. And one thing that has changed is that this president has an extremely different attitude toward the media um, and a different perception of the freedom of the press, where he said, I would never imagine Ronald Reagan or George H.W. Bush or George W. Bush, for that matter, having this adversarial of a view of the media and, of course, willing to attack them in the way that he has. So Sean Spicer, he said any press secretary is a reflection of his boss. And so he is very much putting forth what what the president's, you know, approaches when he's standing behind that podium. And also one of the things that both he and Ari Fleischer said, and Ari Fleischer being the 
press secretary under George W. Bush was that the televised nature of it, they started, they, the, the TV networks would start to carry them live, not or just start to carry them, not necessarily live under Bill Clinton. You'd start to get more televised clips. But, you know, this idea of like having it as its own ratings event, yeah. which, you know, you unless Josh Ernest under Obama was talking about something significant, unless there was a newsworthy moment, it wasn't that they would block out the whole time. They might cut in and out if it's an important moment. But this, like, I, like here we go to Sean Spicer and the reporters are doing their stand-ups and, and there's clips that are being generated immediately and stories being written just off the briefing. That's happened over the last few years, but not at this pace. So you also have the advent of 24-hour news. Yeah. And so Sean Spicer is also playing to that, too, um, in addition to the role of the media in you know, actually creating um, its own, you know, event out of this where someone did tell me, Arya Fleischer, that to be fair, while Sean Spicer absolutely has a very antagonistic attitude, you also have reporters knowing the cameras are watching who amp it up too. Yeah, Where, sure. you know, you want to be able, and I'm not saying that they're not doing their jobs. I mean, we're all doing our jobs. Everybody's doing their job, but, but like in the era of Trump, you have to set yourself apart. You have to set yourself apart. And there's just a demeanor on both sides that if the cameras were off and you're sitting in a an off-camera briefing, You'd have a completely different tone. Uh, it would. It, it's, so it's it's interesting. I thought it was pretty fascinating to look at it because it, it just was striking to me that you know Sean Spicer is a household name, uh, and and the and the briefing. It's it's just every day. It's like here here we go. Yeah. It's time for the briefing, and that used to be just a very insular press corps kind of moment, and now it's it's truly a, a much broader issue than that. Please calm down. Do you? Uh... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the equivalent of him telling Ava Ryan not to shake your head at him. Yeah. Oh, one quick thing that I thought yeah, was really fascinating is that Marlon Fitzwater, Reagan's press secretary, did tell me, though, he said he quoted Helen Thomas, who's, of course, iconic trailblazing White House reporter. Yeah. And he said, you know, she came up to me once under Reagan and she just said, you know, Marlon, at the end of the day, the only you could say and do what you want. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but the only person who matters is the president. And that's the only person we really care about. And it's more the idea of, like you say, he's reflecting his boss. Yeah. So that idea of, like, everyone's watching. So the more he channels the president and the more he's unable to sometimes comment even on what the president's view is or the tweets or, the, you know, the tweet speaks for itself, the president's tweet speaks for itself is a catchphrase now, the more that sets the tone, as you say, for all of those who are watching uh, about what this administration looks like. You know, it, it, there's also something to be said about credibility, right? Like, I don't know that that we've ever had a press secretary who had less credibility than Sean Spicer. Right. And it, just, you know, I, I know this is a little bit of a hashtag this town comment, but, right? but like the end goal here is for these people, once the administration is over or they get voted out or whatever, to go on to have a successful job somewhere else. Like, nobody's going to hire Sean Spicer because yeah. he's a liar. Yeah. Well, the credibility thing, though, does, again, harken back to his boss. No, and I, he, I get you know, it. We don't have I, a, and yeah. it's, it's like, you know, he has no credibility right, but what's more because important, he's defending, sir? you know, the incredulous and and his boss has no credibility. I'm not saying that. I'm not defending. I mean, that's actually No, just, no, no, no. I know you're not. Like a, this is actually like the this administration has such little credibility or such an unprecedented um, you know, level of credibility in terms of how low it is that, yes, it's hard to imagine after this where they go from here. Do you feel uh, sorry for Sean Spicer? No. 
I don't even. I, this idea. It like, drives me crazy because there are look, people. We have people who come in here who are reporters who've been here for a long time. Yeah, I can't feel bad for the guy. Well, you know when people say he has a no, tough, sir. When people say he has a tough <laughs> job, right, he signed up for this, and it's uh, it's his decision to go stand behind that podium every day. So there's nothing to feel sorry for. I mean, you know, Here's you what's gonna you knew what you were getting into when you signed up to campaign for, and then subsequently to work for Donald Trump. You know that 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 was apparent from day one. It's not like he he we didn't really know what Donald Trump was like. We had eighteen months right. to see. So right. no, there's no there's no sympathy. I have zero sympathy, and I think Sean Spicer uh, is a horrible, horrible human being. Sabrina Siddiqui from The Guardian and political reporter for MSNBC, our friend Alex Seitzwald. Big brains, little brains. No, no, no. Little brain is right here. <laughs> I'm talking about you two or the big brains. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to have you two in. Between the, the three head. of us, we've got at least one working normal-sized yeah. brain. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. We'll put it that way. Um, I, I wanna, Sabrina and I were just talking about Neil Gorsuch. And uh, Alex, let's, let's pick it up there. I want to get your take on this. Uh, Democrats have enough to filibuster Neil Gorsuch, but this means that Mitch McConnell is going to have to uh, blow up the Senate. Go nuclear. Go nuclear. Yeah, nuclear. As as, 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 nuclear. as a former president might say, nuclear. Um, Sabrina had a had a pretty good take that like this this whole idea that like the Senate is going to be broken after this is kind of a myth. The Senate's already pretty broken. Right. Um, but to me, is this a winning fight for Democrats? That's a question. I mean, it's as much of a winning fight as you can have when you're in the minority and you've, yeah. you've already lost. It's a question of how you're going to lose. Uh, and for them, so much of this, it's personal and it's about Merrick Garland and it's about the way that Neil Gorsuch was chosen off a list you know, given by the Heritage Foundation and uh, the you know, conservative judicial activists. They are just super unhappy with this. They know it's going gonna, it's gonna to go one way or another. I was surprised, and even people you know, in Chuck Schumer's orbit uh, top Senate Democratic aides were surprised at how quickly they were able to get their caucus on board with this construction strategy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and- yesterday, Chris Coons came out and even said he's going to, you know, vote to, uh, to, to filibuster. I thought for sure he wouldn't go. And Coons way. has been going around trying to get this deal together yeah. where they would avoid this. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you pull back, I mean, I, I do think the it is a big deal in that the filibuster probably will not survive maybe the year. I mean, th- this will undo it for Supreme Court. We've got a debt ceiling coming up in the fall, and a bunch of people I've talked to think that that could be the time when McConnell nukes it on legislation. And if you get rid of the filibuster on everything, in that case, it, you definitely change the way the government operates. You change the way the Senate operates. You remove the key choke point in the in how laws get made how things get done in in Washington and maybe that would actually ironically weirdly help fix the senate and fix government to actually do stuff uh, at a time when so many people are pissed off that just nothing gets done. I think the democrats uh for so long have been so concerned with being right and doing the right thing that like you know we saw the government shut down Everybody blamed Republicans for it. They still got elected. Right. Yeah. Uh, you look at all this gridlock. You look at all the the problems in the right. in the in government. Most of the people blame um, the Republicans for that. 
doesn't matter. They still got elected. Right. I mean, they've got the presidency. Like this the idea House, of obstructionism as as being bad a for America, motivating poli- factor at the ballot box hasn't proven to be true. Yeah, and that's I think it finally hit with Democrats, though. I think they finally realized, oh, okay, well, we can do that too. It took eight years for them to realize that being adults doesn't give you advantage. Well, also <laughs> right. they've they've been given you know an an opposing party president who gives them more cover where. You know, because of you know someone who has record low approval ratings and was as polarizing and as offensive to so many people, they also feel like, look, we're galvanizing our base because they're virulently anti-Trump. And then there is also enough of the public who kind of regrets the outcome of the election. You know, they may be sat at home or they voted third party. and 36% so approval rating. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. So, so it's not like you're dealing with a popular president or a more conventional Republican president where the, these tactics probably wouldn't maybe fly. Or maybe they wouldn't. They probably wouldn't even actually go, you know, revert to these tactics under a more conventional pres- Republican president if that had been the outcome. But they have Trump. And, and actually, I think that they, they recognize, especially because they've suffered in midterms, that it, at this point, you know, elections are about base turnout, too. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, you saw in 2014 that red state Democrats try to forge their own path and break with the party and almost all except yeah. for one loss. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, it's, it's, if you're like if the map, it, it looks bad for you and you're in an overwhelming red state and you have a D next to your name. You know, voting to confirm Neil Gorsuch is probably not the thing that's going to save you. Part of this feeds right. into the the anger and the motivation now that's in the left, mm. right? Because this is we're at a real point where we, it's happening. I, we're at a real point where where I kicked him. She I, kicked me under the table. It, it threw. Me. I, I didn't know if anyway. Look, the uh, I'm not going to get involved in this one. There's a, unless it was you. It's, it's all right. There's a there's a real um, <laughs> there's a real moment. In the Democratic Party, right? Because uh, the Tea Party came to power and came to be so prominent because they sort of co-opted a lot of the messaging of the left, right? Like the left knows how to protest. They know how to get out in front of their politicians. And the Tea Party took that and became really quite powerful. And so now you have these progressives who are like, oh, my God, this really happened. And they're pissed. And blocking Neil Gorsuch and shutting down Trump at every point that you that they can um yeah that's a winning that's a winning argument for democrats and, and ironically they're taking the model that the tea party took from the left yeah and turning around absolutely In, indivisible is explicitly saying that they're using the tea party model which was to go to your uh, members of congresses their their local offices and yeah. you know really target them individually but uh yeah i mean the the that, that it feeds into all of this and i think what a lot of the calculations that these senators are making when they're deciding to filibuster gorsuch is they're going to take either a hit on their right in the general election for you know breaking with the president, or they're going to take a hit on their left in their base, potentially in a primary or just in turnout in a general election if they vote for Gorsuch. And the fact that you're seeing even people like Claire McCaskill yeah. coming yeah. out against Gorsuch suggests that they're more concerned about their base and about their base not turning out or getting dispirited. The base than... is furious right now. And I want to ask... And motivated. I want right. to ask you, Alex, though, because there's there's about a year and a half you know, remaining until midterms, and you're starting to see, as you say, this playbook that's being... You know, turned around from what was the Tea Party movement to now on the left, a similar galvanizing moment. But 
to what extent do you think that the party apparatus, uh, the structure is actually organized in terms of translating? Because you've done so much work on the DNC and the rebuilding of the party, translating, you know, the this passion and this uprising into actually turning out at the ballot box. Because Democrats in midterms, obviously, as we know, especially recent cycles, have suffered and been unable to actually turn out their base. Is that especially see, midterms? They suck is in there, midterms. Especially midterms. Is there any tangible evidence that they? That this is not that these marches and these rallies are actually going to translate into some kind of success on their part in in 2018. Yeah, I was out in Michigan with Tom Perez the other day, and I asked him about this, and he said that th- this is what keep literally what keeps him up at night. This is the thing that he most fears is that the Democratic apparatus, the official party, will not capture this moment and they'll mm-hmm. lose all this momentum. And so far, I don't. I really think the party has has not. They they totally missed the boat on the women's march. If you go down, if you went down there, there was no tables from the you know various democratic groups signing up people to to register or to be on their email list they've tried to capitalize on some of it they've certainly you know members of congress members of the senate have gone to participate in these protests but there hasn't been any kind of strategic wide approach to to turn this into um electoral victory that said, it's a challenge, right? Because maybe these people don't want to be inside the Democratic Party. Maybe they don't want to be marching for the DNC. Uh, but uh, there's a, there's a lot that they have to do to figure out how to do that. They can raise money. They can, you know, try to get uh, local indivisible groups to to be with them or whatnot. But they've also got to sustain this for mm. until November of next year, which is a huge challenge. And you know, are people going to want to keep? turning out to protest and writing their members of Congress and chipping in $6 from here to November. I don't know. From here to November, I don't know. I think it will probably flame out a little bit, but I think it'll come back in time for uh, the election. I think like as long as they have Donald Trump to run against, that is a pretty galvanizing figure for Democrats. And they and if they keep scoring little victories like yeah. on, I mean, the healthcare is a big victory. But if you if you keep those victories up, that really keeps people enthusiastic, and it makes them feel like what they're doing actually leads to something. All right, that's all the time we have. Sabrina Siddiqui and Alex Seitzwell, thank you all so very much for joining us today. Go check out the podcast. It's an iTunes. Just look for the Bill Price Show, or go to BillPriceShow.com. Subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Rogger. I've been sitting in for Bill today. We'll see you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.